Please take your Bibles and open it to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Our God, our good and gracious Father, would you give us ears to hear all that you have for us, that we would hear from your word, that we would hear from the mouth of the shepherd, the great shepherd. Lord, I pray that as we hear your word, that you would draw the lost into yourself, and that you would strengthen your own sheep for your glory, that we would feast upon your word this, this morning. We ask this for the sake of Christ, for his glory. Amen. Simple truths are often lost on people, seeking for a complicated answer. When the answer is so simple and so plain, it's often over our heads that we miss it. When the answer is in plain sight, we tend to look for some sort of mystery, that we go to the deep, the deep things, when really the, the right answer, the plain answer is in plain sight. They say the old adage, if you, if you do want to hide something, you hide it where? In plain sight. But if you think about it, what always ends everything? The letter G. <laughs> what gets wet when drying? A towel. What goes all the way around the world but stays in the corner? A stamp. It's not deep theology here. <laughs> it's plain answers. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the very simple, plain things are often missed because we're looking for some deep, convoluted answer. It's not too far from what we see in this passage. Put your shoes in 30 AD. And if you wanted to know truth, where would you go? You'd likely, if you were a Jew, a faithful Jew, you'd go to the Pharisees. You'd go to the scribes. You would look for the religious leaders of that day. That they were, they were the natural source of truth for them. I mean, these Pharisees, they controlled the synagogues and exercised great control over the people. Now, if anyone was close to being a shepherd of Israel at that time, it would be the Pharisees who knew the teachings of the law, quote-unquote, and who taught them to the people. 
if anyone was deemed worthy of leading the people of Israel, it would be these Pharisees, these religious leaders. And yet, although they were esteemed in the public's eye, they were utterly unfit to shepherd. Utterly unfit. You notice in the beginning of our passage here, Jesus starts off his, his words with truly, truly, amen, amen, which he often uses when he's asserting a statement of confidence. And this emphasizes the authority of what he's about to say. This word they would put at the end of the sentence, Jesus says, even before he says anything, truly, truly, twice to emphasize it. And in his discourse here in chapter 10, he will expose these Pharisees and bid all men to come unto him. And though he would later appear to all nations, or appeal to all nations, here he's speaking to this Jewish audience and saying essentially that I am the one to bring life. I am the one to bring shelter for you. I am the one to bring nourishment for you. And what stands out in this 10 verses we just read is the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It stands out in plain sight that he is the only way of salvation. This message, I'm sure, is not familiar to, um, not um, strange to any of us. But here in chapter 10, this is the beginning of the Good Shepherd discourse of chapter 10. The very beginning of this, this discourse, a rich chapter. And he begins this discourse of describing himself as a good shepherd by revealing his unique relationship to the sheep. That as the good shepherd, he shows us his unique relationship to a sheep that he alone has, that he is the only one that has this relationship with the sheep. And in our passage this morning, he uses three pictures to prove himself to be the only shepherd. He uses three pictures to prove himself to be the only shepherd. And these pictures not only illustrate his authority and his provision, but they also, by implication, illustrate the wickedness of all others who attempt to invalidate his role as shepherd. He's not only illustrating himself as the true shepherd, the only shepherd, but by implication, he shows that all others who attempt to stand in his place are wicked and do not have the authority to stand in his place as the shepherd. Why? Because he is the only shepherd. Specifically in this passage, those wicked men are the Pharisees. And while they seek to steal, we see in this first picture that he seeks to save. He seeks to save. You see that in the first six verses. Now at this point, as he begins his his discourse, he's using a figure of speech in verses 1 through 5, which he will then use to make the same figure of speech to make further implications in verses 7 through 10. And in order for us to understand the significance of this figure of speech, because he's starting off the discourse here, it's important for us to understand what is he even using in these metaphors? What's the significance of these figures of speech? And I think it would be helpful for us to understand this by, because to the Jewish ear, when they hear this, they, they instantly knew what shepherds were like and sheep were like. But for us, obviously, we're distanced from this culture. And so we need to understand, really, what's going on here? I want us to get a picture of the sheep and the shepherd of really what's that relationship like, just in the agrarian culture of the shepherd and his sheep. At night, when the shepherd would bring his sheep in, he would put them into a, a, what's called a sheep fold, or a pen, like a, kind of like a pig pen. It's a, it's a sheep fold, an enclosure for the sheep. And this enclosure here, when they were in town or um, at home, this enclosure had these big walls 
made of stone. It was an impregnable fortress here for his sheep. And at night, the doorkeeper or the shepherd would bring his sheep into that sheepfold. After they're grazing in the fields, he would place them in there and he would close the door and there would be a doorkeeper, a hired doorkeeper who stands at that door and he would put his sheep in there and they're safe. So anyone who would seek to go into that, to, to that, that sheepfold, anyone who would seek to climb over the walls to get into that sheep had no good purpose because the true shepherd would go where? To the door. It's his sheep. He would go to the door. So anyone who would seek to climb over into the sheep to get those sheep had no purpose but to steal and to kill and to destroy. It's also important to note in the sheepfold, there are multiple flocks. So multiple shepherds put all of their sheep into this huge enclosure of sheep. They would, so you have neighbors from other shepherds around there. They would all put all their sheep in there. So in this, this huge sheepfold, you have multiple, multiple different flocks of sheep in the same enclosure. And this metaphor that Jesus says in verse 2, he says that the one who enters by the door is the shepherd. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd. Yet now we have to answer the question, if, if there are multiple flocks of sheep in this one enclosure, how would this one sheep get his flocks that, that is mixed with all other flocks? How would he identify his own flock in, the, in this, this whole crowd of sheep? Well, the shepherd, he goes to the door, and he simply calls his sheep. It's, it's not difficult. He goes to the door, and he calls his sheep. And why do his sheep come to him? Because they know his voice. That he simply, simply goes to the door and he calls his own flock. And the sheep that belong to him hear his voice and they go to him. And that's actually quite interesting because if you go to the Middle East, sometimes they'll do for tours for, for tourists, is that they'll go to a field with shepherds and sheep. And they'll give you even the clothes of the shepherd to make you look like the shepherd. And they'll tell you to call the sheep, call the sheep. And you'll get dressed and you'll call the sheep and what happens? They don't come to you. But the shepherd, even if he's not dressed as a shepherd, he'll call that same flock of sheep. And what happens? They instantly come to him because they know his voice. The shepherd, he, knew his, he knows his sheep well. That every good shepherd knows his sheep. And in fact, even shepherds give their sheep names. That they know them so well that he gives them even their own individual names. Think of your own pets in your house. Hey, Fluffy. Fluffy comes to you because he knows you. You feed him. You care for him. Come here, Sparky. Right? He knows his owner's voice, and he goes to him. He won't go to just anybody. There's a familiarity with that owner, and the shepherd is likewise with his sheep. He knows his flock, and the flock comes to him because it knows his voice. And so he doesn't go to anyone. As Jesus says, actually, they flee from strangers. Like, I don't know you. Let me run. Stranger danger. And so there's an intimate relationship here with the shepherd and his sheep that is important for us to grasp because Jesus is using this very illustration to describe his relationship with his flock. In other words, he's describing what sort of relationship, what sort of heart does he have for you as his sheep? He knows you and he knows you intimately and he knows you even more, as it says, by name. Because note the significance in verse 3. He calls his own sheep how? By name. The shepherd's not just calling the sheep in general, but he calls his own sheep, and it's a call that they recognize because they know their shepherd's voice, and they go to him. He has an individual name for each sheep. And that sheep goes to a shepherd, 
You see, the summoning here in this illustration that Jesus uses, it's a personal and individual summoning, which emphasizes the intense love that the shepherd has for his sheep, that he calls his sheep by name. And so Jesus uses this figure of speech to explain how Jesus himself is, in verse 2, the one who goes to the door. He is the shepherd, that he is the one who goes and calls his own flock out by name. The Pharisees, they are the thieves, they're the robbers, but he is the true shepherd. And so how should this encourage you to know that, that Christ doesn't just see you as just a number? You're just not just, just the flock, right? He knows individually. He knows James, John, Martha, Sarah. He knows you specifically, individually, personally. He calls you by name. Shepherds, even that time, they have specific names for each sheep. So if one has like a little bruiser on the eye, he may call him black eye. He may call him fluffy in the ear. It's specific names because he knows that individual sheep personally. He knows what's so different about that sheep. And he has an own name for that one sheep that's different from all the others in the flock. And he calls that one sheep by name. You ever think about that's Christ's relationship, his heart for you as a sheep? That he doesn't see you just as the, the greater flock, although you're in it, but he knows specifically you. He knows your weakness. He knows what makes you stand out. He created you specifically. He gave you a fingerprint that nobody else has and never will have. He knows you specifically by name. You're his sheep, and he's a true shepherd. And he's saying here, I am that true shepherd. That he knows you. And this imagery is an even greater picture here of the human's response to the effectual and divine call of salvation. He's saying just as the shepherd goes and calls the sheep, they come to him because they know his voice and they're drawn to him. There's no other voice they'll go to, but they know that one shepherd and they go to him. It's even the same context of this whole book. And in John chapter 6, in verse 37, you see how Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will what? They'll come to me, he says. All that the Father gives me. They'll come to him willingly because he frees them to come to him. He says in 644 is that, that no one comes to me unless what? The Father who sent me draws him. This drawing is an effectual call. That when he hears that call, when you hear Christ calling you, when he calls you out of the enemy's flock, he calls you by name, and you come because you find him irresistible, and you know no other voice but the true shepherd's voice. You're his. The New Testament reiterates these, that, that, that they're names, so to speak, that your name as a believer in, in the flock of Christ, your name was written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. That your name is written there because he called you, he drew you, and he freed you. But this deep spiritual lesson, lesson was lost on them. It was lost on them. I mean, they, in that culture, should know very well what a shepherd and what, a sheep, what sheep do and the, the relationship to the shepherd, and yet they miss this simple truth. It says in verse 6 that they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. This simple truth was lost on deaf ears. But Jesus continues with the second picture here. The second picture. Not only does he seek to save, but now you see in the second picture that he stands alone. He stands alone. And at this point, Jesus here shifts the metaphor a bit for us. 
He shifts the metaphor just a bit because he already declared himself in verses 1 through 6 to be the true shepherd because, right, he is the only one who can go to the sheepfold and he's the only one who goes to the door and the doorkeeper opens for him because he knows who he is and he calls the sheep unto himself. He calls all the sheep to himself and yet when they hear someone else, they scatter because they know that's not the true shepherd. He's already identified himself. I am that true shepherd. I go to the door. The sheep hear my voice. They come to me. It's mine. They're mine. They belong to me. Anyone else who comes in, they're a thief and they're a robber because they come over the wall. They seek to climb over. They come by illegitimate means. They do not know these sheep. They try to take claim of them, but they cannot have them because they don't know you, so they flee from you. I am the true shepherd. But not only am I the true shepherd, I stand alone. I stand alone. Look at verse 7. So, so they didn't understand. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, key words, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Imagine being the Pharisees. They're in this audience here. They're hearing what he's saying. Just imagine he's explaining this, and he's saying, wait, wait, what? All who came before me are are what? What did you just call me? A thief and a robber? Oh, wait a minute. I'm a Pharisee. (laughs) I'm righteous. The people esteem me. Did you not see me praying on the corner yesterday? Did you not see me? I was hungry, right? I was hungry because I was fasting. You call me a thief and a robber? I'm holy. I'm righteous. I know my Bible front to back. I know all the 10 points of systematic theology. I know it all. What are you, what are you talking about? He says, I'm a thief and a robber. But really, in the grand scheme of things, thieves and robbers is just a gentle rebuke. <laughs> it's a, that's a gentle rebuke because the fruit of their work is not just stolen property but eternal destruction. That what they're doing is not just, just stealing, but they're stealing souls leading into damnation. But here, Jesus, the true shepherd, comes on scene, and he's doing what they never could do and never did. As a true shepherd, Jesus Christ, he's doing what they never could do and doing what they never did or would be able to do. Now, keep in mind now that this discourse does not stand alone either. This is connected to chapter 9. And what happened in chapter 9, if you're familiar with the story, is that this is the healing of a blind man, healing of the blind beggar. And Jesus just healed this blind man in chapter 10, coming to chapter 10. Now, who's this blind man? He, he was a man who, who was just thrown out of the synagogue because he refused to deny the testimony of what the true shepherd had done for him. If you recall from the story, this healing that this blind beggar was there, people knew him day after day, just sitting there begging. He was blind from birth, right? They, they, they saw this man. They knew very well who he was. And yet Jesus comes, the, the, the true good shepherd comes on scene, sees this blind beggar, and he gives him sight. And everyone's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What just happened here? They, they put him on trial. They even put his parents on trial. And they ask him, wait a minute, give testimony, give glory to God. How did this man actually see? And what do they say? Well, his parents bow out. But this blind man has no other option. <laughs> this man, I was blind. I see. It's him. Right? He, he, he gives credit and glory to the one who freed him, who opened his eyes. This man who was once in the sheepfold of these wicked shepherds, Jesus is calling him out, this blind beggar, into his own flock. You see here, he's calling this man who was once lost. He's drawing him into himself. And so we come here in this context that he's a true shepherd 
that he's calling his flock into himself. And we just saw a perfect example of that in chapter 9, of this blind beggar who was once bound and blind and under the authority of the enemy. Jesus comes to that blind beggar and says, you're mine. You're healed. You're mine. And these religious leaders, the thieves and the robbers, they're saying, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. You, you can't have What's going on here? Who is, this, who, is this, who is this guy who's saying he has authority? The religious leaders, they were truly thieves. They were robbers. They tried to gain people through the intimidation. They tried to intimidate his parents. They were afraid not to speak the truth of how their son was healed of his blindness because they didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue. These thieves and robbers held people in their grip by intimidation, by fear, by by some sort of false adherence to the law. They had no right over these sheep, and they were still trying to propagate their own agenda by saying, this is how righteousness is met. This is how you can enter into the door of salvation. If you follow us, follow us what we're doing, you can enter there. But in reality, what Jesus is saying here, I'm the true shepherd on the scene. These false shepherds are thieves and robbers. And if you want to come to salvation, if you want to come to truth, you come through the door. And who is that door? I am. I am. That I am the shepherd. That I am the door of the sheep. That you come to me. That he's eliminating all else, anyone else. That because who he is, what he says he is, if you come to him, you'll be saved. And these these false shepherds are no different than today. Paul talks about them in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, these false shepherds that come to the scene. That these, are, these are teachers who, who preach just for tickling ears, tickling ears. They want to tickle your ear. They want to tell you what you want to hear. They want to give you what you want to eat. They're trying to please the people. They're trying to please your own self so they can gain authority and gain influence. These false shepherds are alive today. That they're presenting tickling ears of doctrine just so they can draw the sheep to their self and they can steal the sheep. They enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That these are false teachers who are propagating a false teaching, presenting a false doctrine, and yet the the condemnation still stands today. That there's one way, there's one door, and it's Christ. And just as he drew this blind beggar and brought him into his flock, Christ says, I'm the shepherd. And all who's in my flock, they're going to come in my flock. But here's the point you see in verse 7. He says, I am the door of the sheep. The only way you find salvation is through me. And every faithful under-shepherd of Christ, even today, any faithful under-shepherd of Christ will point you to this very door and nowhere else. You want to identify a false prophet? Even First John says, anyone who denies that he is the Christ, he is an antichrist. If you want to identify a false wicked teacher, anyone who's subtly introducing other teachings that point you or circumvent you around Christ or Christ plus other else, that is a false teacher. Every true faithful under-shepherd should point you to the door. There's no philosophy, no teaching, no deep psychological truths, no secular ideology, no new and current day teaching can lead you to this door. That he is the door. And that's what he's emphasizing. He's coming to this, this audience of Jewish people who have heard all of the, the cultural trappings of, of, of Judaism. And they've heard all, they're steeped in it. They know it. They follow these teachers. And he's saying here, you're headed to destruction. And those who are teaching you, they're trying to steal you. But guess what? If you're in my fold, they won't win because you're my sheep. 
and you're my care. And I'm seeking you out. I'm calling your name and you're hearing me and you're coming because I'm calling you. But there's no other door. There's no other way. He says, I am the door. We've talked about this in months past, but this, this assertion of I am that Jesus uses all throughout the gospel of John, that this was affirming his deity. It's pointing back to Exodus with Moses. Says, Who should I tell him sent me? And God says, I am that I am. That every time he asserts that I am in the gospel of John, he's showing here his oneness with Yahweh, that he is Yahweh in the flesh. It's giving a further description of his personhood to say that I am the door means that I am God, the only true God, and you can come to salvation by coming through me. That's why he says later in this very chapter that I and the Father are one, that he affirms his union in essence with the Godhead, that I am the door. All who, others who came before me, he says in verse 8, all those who came before me are thieves and robbers, just like these Pharisees. He's not necessarily saying everyone who came before him, so we just read Jeremiah earlier. He was a faithful under-shepherd. Why? Because he was sent from the shepherd. He proclaimed the shepherd's word, and he drew the shepherd for the sake of the shepherd's glory. There were faithful preachers leading up to him, John the Baptist. But Jesus is not pointing out those faithful under-shepherds. Jesus is calling out the false teachers who are presenting a false gospel, a way of salvation by saying, I am that only way, that no one can come unless they come to me. That all others who came before him, all others who came after him, all others who still will come are dressed in the same jester-like clothing, presenting themselves in this attractive appeal but yet uttering teachings that result in the same death and destruction as those who have come before him. And that's why he, he rightly calls them out as thieves and robbers. But even though they're going to try, they're going to speak, false prophets will lie, false teachers will still come. They're still present day, and there's still going to be more to come. They will come. But the anchor for the believer, the anchor for the sheep of the shepherd is that they don't hear his voice because they realize they know the true shepherd's voice, he says in verse 8. The sheep did not hear them. The sheep did not hear them. That though these false prophets will come, true sheep know. They know the truth of God. They know the word of their shepherd. And they're not going to just feast on any foreign food. They know truth. And when anyone is espousing any false doctrine, any false teaching that draws them away from that true shepherd, there is an internal instinct given by God that says, no, 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 this is not my shepherd's voice. I will go to my shepherd. I will run from them, as he says here, and instead I will go to the true shepherd. And folks, we need to be honest. There's still clear, even in the church, in the present-day American church, liberal Christianity is running rampant. That you have teachers here presenting still false, false gospels. That liberal Christianity is, is a huge threat to the church. That they're not only seeking salvation by, by a good morality, by, just, by, by going faithfully to church and loving your neighbor. That is the gospel. Be the gospel, people. Be the gospel. In other words, no, no. The gospel is founded in Christ and his work, his finished accomplishment. That's the gospel. And yet even justification by faith alone, penal substitutionary atonement, these crucial teachings of the shepherd are being perverted and prostituted by people who have ill will and seek their own gain. And that's exactly what the New Testament epistles warn us of, that there were people who come because they see godliness as a means for gain. 
that let me just present myself as a godly person. Let me just present myself as someone who knows this thing. But you know what? Their lives are testimony to, to, the, to the selfishness and to the perversion of their actual teaching. But on the flip side, Paul says, actually, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so Christ here is saying, I am this only door, that I am the only way to salvation. I am the only one. And all these others, all them around here are, are, are popular, right? These are not just minority teachers. Many were flocking to them and many were afraid to go against them because they don't want to be thrown out the synagogue. They didn't want to lose their cultural status. They were so influenced by everything else that was pulling them that they knew if I were to submit to this new Messiah here on the scene, I would lose everything. And yet they didn't realize if they submit to this Messiah, they would have everything. He says, I am the door of the sheep. He stands alone, that there's no other way. There's no other teaching. And we see this third picture here in verses 9 through 10. He elaborates on this picture of the door because he says it again in verse 9. He says that same phrase, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says that the sheep enter through him and they go in and out and find their pasture in him. I think here's another cultural metaphor that is lost on us, on our ears. Because there are two types of sheepfold. The one we talked about early in the beginning of the one that's in the town where they would have this huge enclosure in the door and the doorkeeper. That was a legitimate sheepfold that they used. But also there was another type of sheepfold that was used in the country. That when the shepherds were grazing in the country in the fields, there was also a sheepfold that they, a sheepfold that they would use to enclose their sheep in there as well. It was a low-walled corral, not as high as the, the other sheepfold, but it was, it was lower, still made of stone. It was, it was pretty strong, and it had a narrow opening in front. It had four corners or four walls and this narrow opening just in the front, this open wide door with the four walls around it. And this is the one Christ had in mind here in verses 9 and 10, is that this, this lower corral enclosure here that the sheep would use. There's this one person who uses illustration of a story of his own experience, uh, G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan. He shares a story about how he was on a trip in the Middle East. And he was traveling with the Old Testament scholar, and they had a, uh, they had a guide. And they happened to stumble across an, an Arab shepherd. This Arab shepherd was not a Christian. He was Arab. He was a shepherd, but he was a true shepherd. And they started to have a conversation with him. And this Arab shepherd, he was showing them where he puts the sheep at at night. And he was showing them just like I described to you right now, is that it consisted of four walls and had an open way into the enclosure. And then the Arab shepherd, he told them, is that, see, when the sheep go in here, they're perfectly safe. They go into that enclosure, the four walls with the opening, and they go in there and they're safe. And so the Old Testament scholar, he was talking with him and he said, but they go in there, but there's, there's no door. It's four walls. And has an opening. There's no door. How is that perfectly safe? And not speaking even in the New Testament language, this Arab shepherd just looked at him and said, I'm the door. He's not a Christian. He said, I'm the door. And this, the scholar was kind of lost. He was confused for a second. He says, okay, what do you mean by the, the door? How are you the door? This Arab said, when the light is gone, when it's nighttime, and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space. No sheep goes past me. No wolf comes in unless he comes through me. I am the door. I think that's a perfect way 
of understanding. This New Testament scholar or Old Testament scholar heard the story and was like, oh. And this Arab shepherd who had no idea of any New Testament teaching says, no, 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 I'm the door. If the sheep want to be safe, they come in through me. They're not going to leave because they have to come over me. And they wouldn't do that. And no one's going to come and attack them unless they come through me. I'm the door. And that's exactly what Jesus is affirming here in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will enter in and be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am that door. You come in through me, you're saved. But not only are you saved, but you are safe. Because he is the door. And so he extends this metaphor not only to say, I am the true shepherd. I own these sheep. If you're in my fold, you're in here because I called you out by name. And if you're in here, you come through me and you are saved because you came through the only way to be saved. And if you're in here, you are safe because I'm here. That no one's coming in unless they come through me. And you're not coming out unless you come through me. But even if you do come out, he says here, they go in and out. And what do they find? They find pasture. Because he is the door. Jesus saying, I am the living door. That in order to go into the fold, you must go through me. And if you want to find pasture, you must go out through me. And as the door, he says, I am the protector. I am the the provider. That when you come to the door, you not only save, but you are safe in my care. That in me, you find all that you need. You find pasture, which is so essential for a sheep because they need pasture. Beloved, you need pasture. You need care. You need tenderness. And your Savior, your shepherd knows exactly what you need. And he says, I am that door for you to have pasture. That when you need to be calmed over the seas of anxiety, that when you're troubled with fear, when you're struggling with temptation, find me as your pasture. You come to me and I'll give you all that you need. I'm the true shepherd here. And this is my heart for you as my sheep. The in me, no matter where you find yourself, you're in good care. So not only is he standing alone, but in this third picture here, he says that they find all that they need. They find the nourishment. He brings life. In this third picture, that Jesus brings life. And that's exactly what his sheep needs. And so far, you know, Jesus appeared to be the door to the sheep, But now in verses 9 through 10, he is the door for the sheep. He's the door for the sheep. He not only saves, but he nourishes his sheep. That's good news. He takes care of his sheep. He knows his sheep. He knows you personally. He called you out personally. How often have you thought about that? That when you contemplate on the richness of salvation, have you thought about the fact that God called you by name? That he knew you before the foundation of the earth, as he said to Jeremiah. He knew you before anything was created, and he set his love upon you, and he called you in time and said, you are mine. That this is the heart he has for you personally as his sheep. And he takes care of his flock because he owns his flock and has a rightful claim to his flock. By nature, sheep are helpless creatures. They depend on shepherds to lead them to water and to pasture and to fight off wild beasts. And if if they're nipped in the face by snakes in the grass, the the shepherd takes care, anoints their face with oil. He cares for sheep. He feeds them. This is the, the love that the shepherd has, the attentive care that the shepherd has for sheep. 
And that's why he says they can find that pasture. But not only do they find pasture, they find abundant life in verse 10. They find abundant life. He says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That he, he assures that this is not only eternal life, but this life is given abundantly. Not necessarily abundant in, in earthly provisions. Not necessarily monetary provision. Although he did promise that your needs would be met, but he's promising abundance. That he gives life, it's far greater than temporal and tangible things. That this life that he gives, abundant life, is more than you can ever need. Because it's all in him. That he's offering this good, safe life. I remember I saw a picture online of this, this sheep just laying, grazing in the grass on its side, just having no cares in the world. And he, and he says, this is what the good shepherd's like for his sheep. And that's true. It's that in, in a sense, your life is, is like on, this, on your side, just eating and grazing in the grass whenever you want. If you're thirsty, you go get some water. That this is a, a, real sh- a good sheep's life. It's carefree life. It's carefree. Not because it's so strong, but because they realize they have a strong shepherd. And then that's, that's, that's how God wants you to, to understand about who he is for you, that he is a good shepherd, that you should have a carefree life because you know your shepherd. You know there are wolves out there, but you know, oh, those wolves don't stand a chance against my shepherd. Man, that's my shepherd. That's my God. That he applies abundant life. These provisions are, are eternal, but also present now for you to feast on. You feast on his goodness. You feast on his grace. You feast on his mercy. You feast on his peace. You feast on all that he is, that he never ends, that he is an unending source of provision for you. And by contrast, the thief, Jesus says, those shepherds, quote unquote, come to steal, kill, and destroy They steal, kill, and destroy. And that's exactly what these Pharisees, scribes, and other false teachers did. They came to steal, kill, and destroy. They mimicked their father, Satan. And their father is the great chief. Excuse me, the great thief. Because he comes likewise to steal, kill, and destroy. That they're falling short with their wicked father. To steal, kill, and destroy. But when Jesus comes for you, when he calls you, and you come to him, he comes to bring you life. And when Satan comes for you, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And yet, sadly, many will hear the voice of the wicked one and be persuaded to follow him because of its appeal and be sadly, tragically led to destruction. This picture that Jesus gives us here, he is the true shepherd for his flock that he seeks to save. He stands alone, and he comes to bring life. That's what he does as a true shepherd. And this simple message of the gospel demands that you receive this life through Christ. You demand that he is the door. It's simple that Christ himself said that he is the door. This message is simple. It's not simplistic, but it's simple that he is the door. The exclusivity of Christ displays the glory that all can be saved simply through receiving that free gift of grace by entering through the door by faith. That simple message. That you don't need a complex method. You simply need to look to the only shepherd, go to him with a repentant faith, and find all that you will ever need. This is simple, folks. 
This is simple. That he says, I am the door. And while many look for complex and highly intellectual answers, they miss the door. They miss the door. That's why Paul says that the cross of Christ is foolishness to the world. They don't understand how, wait, the cross of Christ, uh, that your Savior died? Yes, he died and he rose triumphantly. The cross of Christ is certainly foolishness to the world. But to you being saved, it is the gift, the glory of God. It is the power of God. So though many look for intellectual answers, they miss the door. They, they seek to answer creation, the flood, the existence of God and his word. And the simple answers do not satisfy the sinner's mind. Yet God spoke it. God caused it. God is. God inspired it. These answers are seen as foolishness to those who are not of the fold of the shepherd. But when the shepherd calls the sinner, they immediately follow their new master because he has awakened their dead soul. That's exactly what the shepherd does. When he calls you out, he calls you individually, building his flock one by one so that all in his flock will be there. That's why he says that he leaves the 99 for the one. His flock is complete. All that are his, he will call by name and you're his. And just like the blind beggar, there's no other explanation. There's no other turning back. We, we echo with him. I, I can't explain what happened to me. All I know, I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. I have no other explanation. All I know, I was blind. I was confused. I was lost. I was dead. I was hopeless. And now I see. That's my testimony. And who gets the glory? The good shepherd who called you to himself. He is the true shepherd. I am the door. And sadly, many will not find this door. And many will not find this door. As Matthew 7 verse 13 says, that enter and through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who will enter through it. But on the contrary, he says, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That many... There will be many who think that they have gone through the door only to find that they have never entered. There will be many people who think they've gone through the door but never really entered. All types of these people in these categories. People who will boast in their own efforts that, yes, I was this. I, I, I led a decent life. I, did, I got baptized when I was four. I, I prayed that prayer. Yeah, I know who Jesus is. They thought they entered into the door. They saw the door, but they never went in because they sought to go in by their own works. That they're going in by their own confidence. Their boast is in what they have done. Their, their, their anchor of their soul is not in the finished work of Christ. Their boast is not Christ. Their boast is in other things. That there are many people who think they have gone through, and they will say, Lord, Lord, and he says, I never knew you. Perhaps you've known about Jesus. Perhaps you know who this Jesus is. And, and I pray that today that you would just not know who he is but you would give your life to him, that you would go to him. That today you would drop all other assurances, all other comforts, turning from your own way and surrender to the shepherd. It's not, go to him. He's the door. That's the good news, my friend. I don't care how much you've been in church, how much you've sat here. If you have not gone through this door in repentant faith, you do not know this master and you need to know him today. He is the door. 
Many today are cast down or heavy laden. They're burdened. And in essence, they're without a shepherd. They're without a shepherd. But believer, can I encourage you in this? In this evangelistic message, this still rings true for us in many ways. Believer, embrace your sheepiness. Embrace your sheepiness. That you're a sheep. You're a sheep. You have a shepherd. And can I ask you, where do you go to find pasture? Where are you going to find your comfort? Where do you find your fulfillment, your delight, your hope? Do you realize that as a sheep, you're needy? That you need to be led. You need to be fed. You need to be comforted. You need to be protected. You need your shepherd. You need Christ, and you need him daily. Do you follow your shepherd? Do you go after your shepherd? Are you finding peace and comfort in your shepherd, or are you running from him? Your sheep, you need a shepherd. And if you're in Christ, go to your shepherd daily. Don't seek for new, complex, heightened things. Go to the basics, and your good shepherd provides you with all that you need. That he only is the source in all of this. That Christ is the door. Christ is your nourishment. All that you need is in him. That the life of a sheep is truly carefree because they depend upon the shepherd. That when the waves of life, they rise. When the storms come, because they will. When the sorrows rise and come, when when your heart is overwhelmed and burdened with the pressures of life, you realize it is well with my soul because I know who my shepherd is. And I know that the God who called me into his fold, he will never leave me. He is a good shepherd, a faithful shepherd, a true shepherd and he knows my need in my weakness and I will never go astray because he's fed me. I know him to be true. I proved him to be true. Look at my life. He changed me and he gives me the nourishment that I need and so I will go to him daily, constantly, hourly to find him to be my shepherd. Embrace your sheepiness. That though when sorrows come, wolves in danger, they will be there. But when you have a shepherd... I'll lay on that grass, eat the grass. If I'm thirsty, I'll go to the water. I'll graze, look at the hills, because I know, wow, he made that. He's got this all in his hands. Let me hold on to his rod and his staff, because they comfort me. This is your shepherd. This is the heart that your shepherd has for you. That this is how he feels about you individually. That he knows you, and this is his heart towards you. Run to your shepherd. Take shelter in your shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, these are easy truths to understand, but yet, Lord, so hard to live out oftentimes. That, Lord, we're like the the simple-minded shepherd that, or the sheep that, that goes astray And how faithful you are to gather us and collect us into your fold. Lord, we thank you that you are a shepherd, a true one. And that you're the only way that we can find pasture, the only way we can find delight, the only way that we have abundant life. It's in you. And Father, I realize that there may be some in this morning here sitting down this morning who have not entered into the door. I pray this morning they would, Lord.
And God, I pray for us as a, as, a, as a flock here that we would take delight and comfort in our shepherd, that in your son whom you sent to die and to rise again. May we trust in him, the great shepherd, for your glory and for his glory. We ask this in his name. Amen.